today on Ag News Daily. It makes it uh, easy to send up to a million dollars, actually, uh, in a settlement, a single settlement from the farm or to the farmer. And so we're thinking about this as a very specific solve for agriculture. Nobody's built a vertical payment system for agriculture today. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another edition of the Ag News Daily Podcast. Delaney Howell joined this morning by Tanner Winterhoff. And Tanner, we're getting some rain today, so maybe the NOAA forecast of a wetter July is accurate. Yeah, uh, I haven't done a very good job of looking very far out. It seems like the last couple of weeks into the forecast, just an assumption that yesterday would be the same as the next. And uh, it looks like today could be kind of damp. I hope that also our listeners in areas that need the rain can get it too. Because as we've talked, we've been very blessed this spring and uh, don't need any of our crops to drown out. No, and, uh, you know, as we talked yesterday on the podcast, some crops uh, may have had some derecho impact. We're starting to kind of be able to measure what those storms brought earlier this week in areas like South Dakota and uh, northern Iowa, starting to see some of the reports of some of the damage that came out of that, Tanner. And some quite a few farmers said that they lost some crops to hail and wind both. Yeah, I was seeing that. And then, of course, there's the, the optimists that are um, making sure the world knows that these crops can rebound. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, if they're snapped off, we know what that's like uh, when the derecho came through our area a couple of years ago. But if they're leaning, it's to give them chance to see if it will naturally pick itself back up. But we all know what hail damage looks like. And that can be hard to recover from. Certainly can, Tanner. I had seen yesterday, I think Delaney and I talked before this show that we'd seen it on Twitter all over the place uh, in in regards to Bill Gates. So the North Dakota Attorney General's office recently was inquiring on a 2,100 acre farmland purchased by the Red River Trust, which is an entity affiliated with Mr. Bill Gates. The corporate farming laws bar corporations and limited liability companies from owning and leasing farms and ranches. With the Gates' new $13.5 million farmland purchase, North Dakota INS are stating to the Attorney General that this violates the state's law. However, the Red River Trust received a letter from the North Dakota Attorney General's office last week alerting the trustee of this North Dakota law. And yesterday, Mr. Bill Gates got approval by the attorney general to purchase that land. So the Red River Trust will be purchasing the ground in North Dakota. Uh, this has obviously been reported in a lot of different sources, but looks like North Dakotans weren't able to tip the measure on this one. You know, I have to manage that's probably a probably big tax incentive for the state. Yes, I, I doubt that there's going to be a large tax increase from what that land was utilized from before. Um, but just another pawn in whatever Bill Gates has planned for his, I'm going to say world domination. It just seems <laughs> like his continued interest in land as assets in his portfolio. But if you talk to any of our listeners, they'd love to have more land in their portfolio. That is absolutely correct, Tanner. But Farmland prices are continuing to, I guess, 
stabilize isn't the word because they've been stable for quite some time, but continuing uh, to see strength. And I know we have an interview set up to talk about the Ag Economy Barometer, which came out earlier this week. And uh, I'm pretty sure farmland was referenced in this week's Ag Monthly Ag Economy Barometer. But as far as 2021 farmland sales go, Tanner, they continue to steal the headline here. About 895 million acres of farmland nationwide in 2021 were sold, with the average farm size sold at 445 acres, just up slightly. And the most acres sold on average in a year per farm was in 1970 when it was at 440 acres. So we are starting to see a peak here as far as the size of farms being purchased purchased as well. Yeah, we've had a lot of conversations on the Farm for Profit podcast, uh, of course, with my co-host, David, who is an auctioneer and realtor, um, and his observations. Just a lot of estates are getting to the point to where they are dividing assets. And when estates have worked for multiple generations to accumulate land, there's large tracts that are, are put together and are very attractive for those looking to acquire. And some of that land could be in the way of another carbon pipeline. So there is a third carbon pipeline uh, seeking approval to traverse several counties in eastern Iowa. And the proposed pipeline would again transport that liquid carbon dioxide like we talked to Elizabeth Burns Thompson about a week or so ago from Cedar Rapids, Iowa to Clinton, Illinois. That would span about 90 miles in up to five eastern Iowa counties. This is by Wolf Carbon Solutions, a Canadian company operating one of the current North American's largest pipelines. It wants to hold public meetings in September to get the Iowa Utilities Board approval to move forward. They have an agreement with Archer Daniels Midland Company to transport and carb- capture the carbon dioxide from the ADM ethanol plants to Illinois, where it could be dumped into the ground. So a third one, Delaney hitting the news yesterday. Well, Tanner, for the fourth week in a row, we have seen average retail fertilizer prices trending lower and closing out June on a lower note, according to DTN's retail fertilizer trends that they track. Prices for all but one of the eight major fertilizers were lower compared to the month of May, and urea most notably was down 11% compared to last month. The only fertilizer that was slightly more expensive compared to the the month of May was potash, but they said it was not a sizable notice compared to the month of May. So overall, we are starting to see this fertilizer market start to slow down pretty significantly here. Yes, and this article also alludes to that uh, Purdue Center for Commercial Agriculture barometers saying that rising input costs costs and uncertainty about the future continue to weigh on farmer sentiment. So another place here that leads into the conversation that we get to have today. But I tell you one thing that agriculture is winning the war on, and that is consumer confidence. So as of 2016, the last survey that was conducted compared to the survey conducted this year, there are 20% fewer consumers worried about the safety of their food products. So a big win there reported by the Alliance for Food and Farming. 
Despite many struggles that we account in the ag industry, there's one bright spot. Farmers are winning this war on food misinformation. So only one in 10 individuals are actually consuming adequate amounts of nutrient-dense produce on a daily basis. Is that you, Delaney? Can you define nutrient-dense? <laughs> I assume this is your fruits and vegetables uh, as it goes, but the survey focused on pesticide issues, safety, benefits of consumption, pathogen prevention, and including information on produce washing. So the AFF also illustrated how important safety is to farmers as they feed their own families the same produce that is being sold to consumers. So the executive director, Teresa Thorne, said these positive changes are likely a result of increased outreach, which indicates that they will continue to push the envelope in delivering messages from our farmers. Well, Tanner, you know, part of the reason that we could have segueing back here to talk fertilizer, part of the reason that we could be seeing lower fertilizer prices is because crude oil prices have hit a 12-week low following the holiday weekend here when the AAA reported gas prices at 477 for the holiday weekend down from 488 from the week prior and folks are suggesting that that still might be a sign that we are in a light recession. The head of the International Monetary Fund on Wednesday said the outlook for the global economy has, quote, darkened significantly since April, and she couldn't rule out the possibility of a global recession within the next year, given the elevated risk. So we're certainly seeing that come out, and we're also going to see, I think maybe yesterday, late afternoon, the Federal Reserve has released their June policy minutes. I haven't seen those as of yet, Tanner, not sure if you have, but I know that information has a tendency to weigh heavily on the market. Correct. No, I have not had a chance to review those uh, as well. The last piece that I have, uh, just anecdotally for today, is uh, news out of the United Kingdom that their Prime Minister Boris Johnson has agreed to step down as Prime Minister. So lots of British media outlets are reporting on this. This is following an avalanche of resignations within his own government that has eroded at his authority and virtually paralyzed their government. We have included the United Kingdom on a couple of articles that we've reported on in regards to Russian supply, uh, how things were being embargoed, and what uh, other things were taking place, of course, across the waters. But the uncertainty that's going to come out of this that might affect a little bit of foreign trade. Not not a big player, Delaney, but just a little piece that could add to uh, the conversation. His resignation is expected on Thursday. Uh, the Conservative Party then has the duties of electing a new leader who will automatically become the prime minister. However, this is not going to be a simple process. This will take some time. The uh, leadership has two parts. The first stage is to vote in a series of rounds for the MPs, which is uh, what you would consider almost the governors in regards to the Iowa State Legislature. The second stage is to find two final candidates and put this together. So uh, they are seeking a extended period of time while this contest takes place. 
They're expecting it to last a couple of months. So the next question, Delaney, is who will step in place in the interim to take over? Of course, Boris has stated that he would like to remain in place through October, but the consumer index in the United Kingdom has no faith in him in that role. So maybe another headline that we'll see if it has any impacts on trade agreements or that war between Russia and Ukraine, but a little bit of news coming out of the United Kingdom. Well, Tanner, one thing that could have major impacts on U.S. row crop farmers is a new consent decree put out by the EPA. The EPA is going to decide by September 30th how much regulatory oversight is needed for pesticide-treated seeds. And this has come because there was a lawsuit filed back in December of last year by the Center for Food Safety and the Pesticide Action Network North America, alleging that pesticide-treated seeds are unsafe, amongst other things. The two groups sued the EPA agency um, because originally they filed a lawsuit back in or a petition back in 2017 and got no word back and are now suing the government. And we've seen public comment period here for about the last two to three years. And they've received back almost 20,000 comments from the public about treated seed. And so the EPA is going to get this thing settled one way or another on September 30th to either grant, deny, or deny in part the environmental group's petition. Really? Uh, I had seen that headline, but had not read into the article. Um, so another one of those that we should keep an eye on to continue to see how things progress. Yeah, because I don't know what percentage of the U.S. has treated seed, but I'd be wagering to bet it's a fairly large portion, Tanner. I would say in our area, at least uh, in our backyard for the state of Iowa. Ooh, here we go. I found it. About. Treated seed is now estimated to use a hundred or be used on a hundred and million. I can't talk this morning. 180 million acres. Wow. So that could have that could. a very big impact. It could. I'm curious, Delaney, your take on what's happening in the markets today. Because as I glance, it looks like for the grains, at least we are green across the board. We certainly are, Tanner. Uh, could be some of the news related to the derecho and the storm that we were having earlier this week. We're also seeing... Uh, Russia invaded once again Ukraine. There's some new cases reported this morning. But overall, yeah, we're seeing a lot of green this morning as we head into the opening session here. New crop corn is up about 13 cents at 5.98. New crop soybeans up 37 cents at 13.60. And new, new crop wheat up 35 cents at 8.56. Livestock, we're seeing green across the screen and live cattle, feeder cattle, and lean hogs this morning, Tanner. So all markets seem to be finding their footing. Some positive sentiment in the market, not necessarily a turnaround Tuesday, but a good market minute. If you want to coin it as that, Delaney, for a Thursday, let's jump into our conversation with Bushel to learn about what they have going on. Hey, listeners, we're ready to have a fantastic conversation today around 
some of the leading technology in agriculture. We are pleased today to have Jake Jornstead, the CEO and co-founder of Bushel, joining us on the podcast. How are you doing, Jake? Doing great. Thanks for having me on. Hey, the pleasure is ours. And uh, we'd be remiss if we didn't have you tell the listeners what beautiful sights you have as you're recording this today. What are you up to? I'm uh, at a Larson family reunion, the Norwegian side of our family in Colorado, Estes Park, beautiful place. And over 120 family members are here. So it's quite the wow. place to be taking an interview from. And it's pretty gorgeous out today. No kidding. What a big family too. That's exciting. But for our listeners, why don't you tell them a little bit about your professional career and what Bushel is? Yeah. So, um, I'm, I'm from Fargo, North Dakota. Our company Bushel was founded here in North Dakota in Fargo. And, uh, just a little background, just over 200 teammates, um, helping to our mission at Bushel is to help, uh, digitize the, the ag industry's uh, infrastructures. You think about the physical last hundred years of physical infrastructure being developed in the United States in particular, we've got the railways and the storage capacity on the, in the grain side. Uh, we've got river terminals and export capacity uh, highways. We have some of the best physical infrastructure in the world. Uh, and it's made us some of the best places in the world to actually grow uh, food. And so because of that, uh, we've been in a great position leading leading the world. Uh, but when it comes to digital infrastructure, thinking about adoption of digital technologies and tools to create more efficiency in that supply chain, we're probably behind in a lot of measure, measurable ways. Not the farmer, but the supply chain more broadly. The farmer we know is doing a great job adopting and using tools like, uh, you know, the automated driving of the combine since the, the 90s and the tractor and everything else but the supply chain is still very heavy paper everything from a paper scale ticket when you drop your grain grain off at the facility to grain contracts being sent in mail uh, uh, and signed with a pen and paper still uh, to paper checks 90 percent of pay, uh, payments to farmers in the united states are on a paper check still it's one of the only industries with that heavy usage so that's the kind of problems we're solving at bushel and simply stated we Started just started off trying to solve the paper scale ticket. How can we build a mobile tool for your facility, your co-op, your ethanol plant or mill that you work with to be able to see all your deliveries and your contract status, your settlements, your agronomy purchases right on a self-serve tool that allows you to have more powerful conversations with your merchandising teams and your retailers you work with rather than having to do account lookups and understand where you're at. So that's where we started. Well, Jake, I think one thing that I see from the side of consumers and especially having just graduating college and knowing a lot of people that are worried about the climate impact of agriculture, that being able to use this tool and promote your business as a paperless business will really intrigue consumers and make them more likely to want to buy from farmers and agriculture workers throughout the country. But also, I think this is going to really up the efficiency of the industry. What are some ways that this is going to be a game changer for farmers throughout the country? When we, when we first started, the, the goal was how do we reduce the amount of time spent um, talking about what, what happened on your account and how much grain you sold? How do we reduce that conversation and make it more valuable? But how do we help the farmer be a more profitable marketer? How do we help them be more successful in their business as a grain company? Um, that's where the tool began in the process, reducing 
a lot of paperwork. We can do electronic signature today. The scale tickets are no longer needed to be on paper. And, uh, and now with our bushel payments launch, um, that, that paper check can be removed and we can talk about being a digital payment and all those things take out just a little bit of inefficiency every time across the workload of the grain companies who are aggregating a lot of this, uh, throughout the U.S. So if you think about, um, the, the labor shortages in agriculture, it's felt both on the farm as well as in the supply chain. The grain companies and co-ops, they've got plenty of, uh, labor issues of their own where there's just not enough people to do the job. And so if we can help technology, uh, enable those people to do their job more efficiently with maybe with, with less people effort overall, I think we're making progress together. Absolutely. And that's part of the reason we had this conversation scheduled for today is there was a press release that came out last week on the 29th of June about an advancement that you guys have made. So could you talk a little bit about your digital payment network that you just alluded to? Yeah. So think about when, uh, you know, when the bank, the bank finally came out with an app where you could see your checking account, uh, and make transfers and do remote deposit. That was a big upgrade versus having to go to the ATM. That's where Bushel started. And now what we're trying to do is make it easy for a farmer in a facility to simply get payments moving. If you think about the process today, again, 90% of paper checks, uh, 90% of the payments are paper checks sent in the mail delivered by gasoline to a likely remote, you know, mailbox or, or PO box in town. And then the farmer picks that check up and has to go sometimes drive an hour or more to the bank to get it deposited. Sometimes there's a second signature because of a lien. There's just a huge process where farmers have enough things to do uh, today. Why do we also make them go in and deposit checks? And so that was the starting point. If you think about Australia and some other countries around the world, in, in case of Australia, over 90% of payments to farms are electronic. So it's not as if this isn't being done elsewhere, but we're just a little bit behind for various reasons in the U.S., from banking systems to just that this is the way we've always done it. And so for bushel payments to launch, I think it's a, we think it's going to be a meaningful impact. And our goal is to change that 90% paper to be 90% electronic over the next few years. So imagine, um, enrolling in less than three minutes to a kind of an ACH like enrollment process, but you do it right from your phone with your facility and you've done it once with that facility and now you're enabled in the bushel network. So if you have another facility that also uses bushel, um, those payments can be made there and you don't have to re-enroll in that process. Uh, so it really makes it simple for the farmer. They get issued a debit card. Uh, and they can, they can spend the money obviously very quickly that way and then pay with bushel. The ability for other companies and retailers to receive payments from farmers electronically is also part of the overall infrastructure that we built. So think about as a full service, moving money to the farmer and for the farmer to pay their bills all from the same kind of tool set. So Jake, when I was looking at your website about this product that is coming out and just listening to you also, it kind of seems like a PayPal for farmers. What is the biggest difference in this and some of the other money moving apps that the general public uses? I see, see I think the main difference is it's general public consumer versus a business. Every farm in this country is a business, uh, whether it's a sole prop or a LLC or a partnership of some form. And then the facilities that they get paid from are businesses. And so for that, uh, that alone makes it, uh, you know, diff- you can't use a Venmo, for example, to pay your farmer today. Um, and so the other challenge has been the fee structure for credit cards and tools like PayPal is so high that in the case of paying an agronomy bill, 3% 
transaction fee to pay off a fertilizer bill or chemical, the margin's just not there to afford to do that. And so our tool set is significantly cheaper than that. Um, it makes it uh, easy to send up to a million dollars actually uh, in a settlement, a single settlement from the farm or to the farmer. And so we're thinking about this as a very specific solve for agriculture. Nobody's built a vertical payment system for agriculture today. And so our focus has been on how does this benefit the facility and their process of, of moving money and how does it benefit the farmer in ease of use and access to the capital. And so that's, I think that's the core difference versus a Venmo or a PayPal. Yeah, I can see this as being industry leading. I can see why you've had the success that you have already had in the company's young, in relatively young lifespan. So that's great to see. And when you mentioned the size of the network of employees that you've built up to service this, it uh, looks like there will be a lot of support going forward. We we don't want to leave anything untouched. Do we miss anything that you'd like to cover today in this conversation? I think one more thing that's really important. As Bushel's built out a network, we have over 2,000 facilities in the U.S. and Canada that are um, using our tool to interact with their farmers and make their business more efficient. Um the, the network we have to develop next in payments, it starts with those companies being able to pay their farmers and for their farmers to pay their bills from those agronomy companies and co-ops that they work with. But what we need next is also uh, a set of players that will partner with us to receive payments from farmers and make it easy for the farmer to set up their bill pay and such. And so that's part of the next network. We're going to be announcing some more partners later this year. But you can imagine anybody who's either trying to make it easy for the farmer to pay their bill you know, instead of sending an invoice in the mail and paper check back, you know, the the up the upgrade would be simply a click the button and set set the payment um, and schedule it. Um, that's the kind of players we got to work with next in the egg industry. So that could be an equipment provider, an egg input um, retailer, or, or anywhere in between. And so imagine thousands and tens of thousands of farmers. Bushel has over sixty thousand farms today using our tools. Um, enrolling in this payment process. The network effect of making it easy for that farmer to now navigate their entire business with payments is what our goal and our outcome is going to be. And so we're looking for those next set of partners to participate in the process as well. Absolutely. And when exactly is this product going to be available to farmers as a whole to use on their operation? So we've already got a few pilots launching. Um, some of them are going to be available here in July for their first settlements and and say uh, uh, wheat harvest coming at the end of July. Um, Egg Valley is going to be working on that. And so we'll see uh, the next probably 10 to 20 companies of ours, our customers, rolling this tool out before the end of the year. And uh, it should be kind of broadly adopted throughout 2023. So now's the early stages to get involved. Um, It is available uh, to create an account today and uh, get set up, but it's it's much more useful as your facility starts to use the tool. And so that's what we're working on for the next six months. And going into 2023, it should be widely available. Great. And thanks for joining us and taking some time out of your day. But if these listeners are now curious and they want to learn more about it, what's the best way for they to find, for them to find you and to find Bushel? So bushelwallet.com has all the details about how this could work as a farmer or an agribusiness. Um, and uh, you can go from there. Bushelpowered.com is our website, P-O-W-E-R-E-D.com. And, uh, or you can find me uh, at Jake from Fargo on Twitter. Great. Well, it's been a pleasure. We appreciate you jumping on the show with us.
Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Well, Tanner, it's been a little while since we had them on, but, you know, I saw that headline come up in the news the other day that they were starting to move and shake some new products and new things and thought, oh, our listeners need to know about that. Well, I wanted to know about it as well. Sometimes these interviews are a little selfishly motivated and hopefully that <laughs> aligns with what the listeners want to hear as well. So another great day here on Ag News Daily Podcast. Remember, if you want intermediate updates, check us out on all of our social media platforms. You can always send us a message if there's a guest you want us to interview. But until then, what do you say, Delaney? Should we let the listeners go? Let's let them go. 